It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Sonia Spence is passionate about quilting and is inspired by colors, shapes, or ideas that pop into her head. She loves making her designs a reality and believes that nothing is impossible. I loved when she told me she didn't know she couldn't do it. What a great perspective. Sonia, I'm so glad you're joining me on A Quilter's Life. Hi, Paula. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh Uh-huh. Where were you born and raised? Okay, so I was born just outside of London um, in a little village in a place called Surrey, which I guess is sort of most renowned for sort of being near where the queen or king now lives. (laughs) (laughs) And I lived there pretty much until I left university, really. So Surrey born and bred and then went to university and then from there headed on, lived in sort of Berkshire for a bit and then Hitchin sort of north of London and then we moved west towards Wales so yeah traveled north slightly to the Midlands and then headed across. How exciting. (laughs) I am so looking forward to someday getting to visit England and it just is fun to picture where you've been. Oh you should definitely come. There's so many lovely places to go and obviously you need to go to London to visit Liberty. Oh neat. Share a special childhood memory. There's a couple that I'd like to share. So the first one, so the one that I hold dear is my mum, when I was younger, used to just give me absolute freedom to play. So sadly, I lost my mum in 21. And as a mum myself now, looking back, I don't really know how she did it, but she used to, for the whole of the summer holidays, she would set up a sewing machine for me on the dining room table and just let me play. (laughs) And I used to have a project, say I'd want to make a bag, I'd want to just make clothes for my dolls or things like that. And I just used to come and go and play as I wanted to and make things. They never turned out particularly well. I remember making a bag to go to university. I spent ages measuring it all out. Completely at that time, didn't think about seam allowance. So it never fitted any of my notebooks. <laughs> but I still used it anyway. I just carried all the big things and put all the small things in it. <laughs> but I look back now and I always think that was very generous because it allowed me to just explore and investigate and play and there was no pressure and no right or wrong, no having to tidy up at the end of the day. But now as a mum, I look back and I think, I don't know how she did it because if the kids leave stuff on the table for more than three weeks, I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) The second one is with my dad because my dad has a traction engine. It's a model, so it's a third full-size steam traction engine. And he's got milling machines and he makes all of the bits that he needs to build it. And I used to spend quite a lot of my childhood helping him out in the garage, sawing down rivets and all this kind of stuff. I'm looking at sort of technical drawings. 
And that now comes into play because I quite like making bags and accessories and I can understand the drawings and kind of how it could go together and how it would work. So again, it was just having that freedom to play and explore and do things. And it's something I try to do with my kids is just let them go at their own pace and sort of doing what they want to do. Oh, wow. That is such detailed work that you got to do with your dad. What a great connection with your mom and your dad. Yeah, it was very lucky. It was a lot of creative freedom. I think it's important. Mm-hmm. After university, did you have a job? Yeah, I did. So <laughs> I didn't actually know what I wanted to do when I left university. So I went for loads of different interviews at lots of different places. And the first job that I was offered was selling forklift trucks. <laughs> and I didn't know that I couldn't do it. So I did that. <laughs> and then I soon worked out I didn't enjoy that. But I did meet my husband doing it. So it wasn't a complete waste of time. <laughs> and then after that, I kind of fell into it, really. I fell into doing insight management, which is working with sort of FMCG, so uh, blue chip companies, the kind of companies you find in most shops like Walmart, I guess. So it would be Heinz, Interbrew, which is now Ambev, Puckerty. And I would work for them and I would analyze the data, find out how promotions were doing, what were the trends in the marketplace, how effective were promotions being, what kind of advertising should we be doing, market research, all that kind of stuff. And I did that for about 15 years. Wow. (laughs) So you have to be an expert in that area. Bizarrely, I never liked maths at school. (laughs) So, yes, it's important to understand data. I'm pretty good at Excel. But actually, a lot of it is looking at kind of big picture stuff. So as well as kind of understanding what's going on at the sort of the tiny level of what's happening with this individual brand, it's correlating it back to what's going on in the wider environment. You know, what are the social trends? I mean, social media wasn't around as much when I was doing it, but that now would have a massive impact. When I was at Heinz, it would be things like the weather because weather has a big impact on whether or not people are buying salad cream, for example, or soup. So yes, it's very big picture, but one of the things I think is interesting about it looking back now is how many of those skills I use in what I do now because when you look at sort of the maths of it you know if you sit down and you've got a presentation full of data people are like oh yeah and they just instantly glaze over (laughs) It's it's a little bit boring so it's around taking that information and presenting it in a way which is easy to understand and it kind of lives with them and it makes sense. And when I then went on to write patterns and do things, that's always how I'm trying to do things is how can I make it interesting? How can I make it easy to understand? And yeah, hopefully something that people can use and adapt. That's so important. And to have all that experience with that, that is so neat. Thank you. I think you may have already gone over where you live now. I now live in Gloucestershire, which is 
slightly above London. If you look at the UK from above, it's slightly above London, very close to the Welsh border. <laughs> so it's across. Yeah, we're about half an hour's drive and we're in Wales, which suits me because I love Wales. So, <laughs> But yeah, we've lived here 10 years now and it's a beautiful part of the world. I feel very lucky to be here because it's somewhere that we always used to kind of come when we were going on holiday and now we live here. So if we go to our local sort of food shop, when you go down, there's a certain point on the motorway where you can look across and you can see the Brecon beacons in the distance. And I'm always like, oh, look at that. Kids aren't we lucky to live here. And every day <laughs> the kids are like, oh. <laughs> but, you know, it's something I'm always grateful for and try not to lose that as well. Yeah. It's so funny. We can't just pass down those loves, but they'll probably come back later and like, oh, mom, so glad you pointed those things out. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. <laughs> Sonia, is there anything else you wanted to share about your family? The only thing that came to me when I was looking at this was I'm very, very grateful to have a husband who's so understanding. <laughs> I like to think it's not just me anyway. I think when you craft, it's not always easily contained in one small space. It normally spills out into a lot of areas of your life. In my case, quite a few rooms as well. <laughs> and I think it's good to have a husband that is understanding of that. <laughs> and over the years, he's actually learned quite a lot about quilting and dressmaking because I'll occasionally do dressmaking as well. And so he'll quite often catch himself and sort of say, oh, is that cut on the bias? And you can see the look of horror in his eyes as he realises he knows way too much about this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, so that's good. And he's always someone that I value his opinion a lot on what I'm doing and his thoughts. So it's nice to have someone, even if he doesn't love quilting, he has an appreciation of it and that helps. <laughs> it's so great to have someone to bounce some ideas off of sometimes, even though, you know, they're not going to be creating anything, but they know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And to appreciate the work that goes into it as well. Mm -hmm. Besides quilting, are there other crafts that you do or that you've done in the past? To be fair, there's a lot of crafts that I've tried <laughs> over, the, over time. I just like crafting and I love trying out new things as well. When I was younger, I used to do a lot of cross-stitch. And then I kind of left crafting. I think it's quite a common journey that you sort of do a lot of crafting when you're younger and then kind of you get into the world of work and you start going out. And crafting maybe falls aside a little bit, which it did for me. And then when I got married and afterwards because I had no longer had a wedding to plan. I was like, I'm a bit bored now. What can I do? <laughs> and I started back knitting and crocheting. And I did that for quite a few years, actually. And I still do crochet. Knitting, I'm not very good at. I have very tight tension. Unless it's a hat or a scarf, it's not really worth me knitting anything. <laughs> Otherwise, it's only suitable for a doll. But yeah, so a lot of crochet. I like dressmaking as well. So I enjoy dressmaking and there's a lot of skills, I think, that go from quilting into dressmaking. So I think if you've done one, it's quite easy to go to the other. 
But yeah, other than that, I try not to pick up too many hobbies because I have enough to do with quilting and I don't get obsessed about things, but I want to try everything on it. So I have to be quite strict with myself to keep to just doing the two. (laughs) (laughs) Are there other hobbies that you do? I enjoy being outside and I love visiting gardens. I find them really inspirational. So we're very lucky in the UK to have National Trust and English Heritage less so. They tend to be more buildings. But National Trust, you can go and visit lovely houses with beautiful gardens. There's quite a lot of private gardens as well. And garden centres. I love gardens and I love flowers, but I'm not that much of a gardener. (laughs) So I tend to go and view others rather than my own. And I like cooking as well. I like playing in the kitchen. But yeah, they're my main things. Yes, some people call those hobbies and some people call those chores. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for me, cooking dinner is not a hobby. (laughs) Baking a cake is more so. (laughs) Do you think any of your hobbies show up in your quilting? I would say visiting gardens and houses and being outside definitely I'm quite inspired by architecture so different intersections of shapes so gates and grills and buildings and patchwork the quilt that I'm making or finishing off at the moment the Beaufort quilt was inspired by a trip to Badminton House which is where the game of badminton was allegedly invented And we walked in, they had this massive orangery on the back of the house. It was a gorgeous day, blue skies, you know, the perfect setting. And we walked in and there was this diamond trellis all the way up, surrounded by ornate Victorian windows, all of these beautiful flowers climbing up the trellis. And I walked in and I turned to my friend and went, it's a quilt, I'm going to have to make that into a quilt. (laughs) So... Yeah, I get quite a lot of inspiration from being out and about visiting and seeing things. That is going to be great to see. Tell me about who introduced you to quilting or how you came about learning to quilt. So that's a bit of a funny story, actually, because for quite a while, I thought my first quilt was a jelly roll race quilt. I don't know if you remember when... I think it was back in 2012, jelly roll race quilts were all the rage. (laughs) And I was just getting into sewing again at that point. And I saw some YouTube videos or I think it was being talked about in a Flickr group. I don't know if you remember back when Flickr groups were all the thing. (laughs) I'm making myself sound really old. I'm not. (laughs) It's just this is how old I was when I started quilting. And I made a jelly roll race quilt and I was like, I've made my first quilt. Yeah, amazing. And then I was talking to my mum and she was saying, well, I still use the quilt that you made like ages ago. And I was like, what quilt is this? And I made one when I was at university. So I must have been maybe 20. And I don't remember anyone introducing me to quilt. I didn't know any quilters. My mum didn't quilt. So I can only guess that I either made it up (laughs) as I went or I maybe got a book out of the library. Well, my dad now has still got it. And I had a look at it and (laughs) it's a mix of fabric. So it's polyester and it's cotton. 
um, I quilted the top to the batting and then bagged it to the lining. So the lining to the backing fabric and then just went around the outside. So the backing and the top are not attached. <laughs> but it still works. That's my first ever quilt. And it's actually, when I looked at it, it's quite good on points. I did quite well, all things considered. <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of made it up, I think. And I've just sort of gone from there. <laughs> but that is so neat that that quilt was loved and that you were able to have that special relationship there. But it's amazing that you totally forgot about it. I know, yeah, I do remember it. Now I look back, I remember it being on my bed in my last year at university. I think what happened was my mum and dad go motorhoming and mum used it when she went motorhoming. Yeah, so obviously it got secreted away somewhere. (laughs) And I just completely forgot about it. But yeah, funny, it's but. It's nice to know that it's there and all that time ago. (laughs) Yeah. Whether it's a quilt that you made or someone else made, do you have a quilt that's a favorite quilt? So I think my favorite quilt is one that I've made and it's the Mindful Quilt, which is based on the principle of how sewing is a mindful activity to me. So if I don't do sewing for a long period of time, I can find myself getting quite antsy. (laughs) I'm not very good at sitting down and not doing anything. I don't really like just sitting down in front of the TV. So having something to do with my hands helps to quiet my mind. So I kind of designed the mindful quilt to be based on sewing for just 15, 20 minutes at a time. So you could maybe sit down with a cup of tea after lunch and sew one block. So the blocks are quite small so that you can sit down and if nothing else in the day, you just sew this one block and then you can add them all together. And then by the end of the year, you'll have a quilt. And the mindful quilt, I launched it in 2020 and then obviously COVID hit. So Never has a mindful quilt been more needed than when you're trying to homeschool three children. (laughs) So it was such a lovely quilt to do and it used a load of scraps. And so it's just got so many bits thrown into it. And, you know, sometimes I think I've never done proper mindfulness, but I think that you kind of come and go with habits. Some days you'll do it all the time. Some days you'll do it less, but you can always catch up with it. And it could be at home. It could be in the garden. And you get all of those memories and those moments sewn into that quilt as well. So, yeah, that's a special quilt. That is so neat to be able to sit down for a little bit of time that you have that figured out that it's going to be 15, 20 minutes and then you can move on to something else. But in the long run, you get something really nice out of it. And I think that's one of the things that I always try and share with people with. So for example, with the Mindful Quilt, I had, there's three different quilt designs available. Um, The one that I made was based on making 20 blocks a month. Now, obviously there's anywhere between sort of 28 and 31 days in a month. But 
the 15 minutes doesn't just have to be the sewing. That could be 15 minutes one day of choosing fabric, 15 minutes another day of cutting the fabric, 15 minutes another day of prepping the fabrics ready to sew together. And it's one of the things that I always try and share with people. It's about enjoying the process. I don't make hundreds and hundreds of quilts. I'm not minimalist, but I don't want to just make things for the sake of it. I want them to be special. And so I always try and and find ways of enjoying the process of them. And part of that is the mindfulness of finding an element of it that you can do each day so that you know you're making that progress, that by the end of the year you have that finished quilt. Which takes us into making the quilt. Is there a tool that you're so happy you have? Yeah, a seam ripper. (laughs) Yeah, I love my seam ripper. (laughs) You can't not have one. They're just so useful. Yeah, I think for me, I'll always use one. And if ever I'm sort of doing workshops, I'll say to people, don't be afraid to use it. You know, you make mistakes and it happens. We all make mistakes. But it's also very useful. I quite like sewing curves sometimes. So you can use it as an awl to hold bits of fabric together as they go towards the sewing machine. So I use it for sewing and for unsewing as well. (laughs) With so many steps in the quilting process, do you like each step along the way or do you prefer one step over the others? I probably have moments where. I guess a little bit frustrated at each stage of the process (laughs) because it's not quite going to plan. I think my favorite stages are the designing is kind of getting that inspiration where you're like, got to see how I can make this into a quilt or a bag or a project and then figuring it out. I like the puzzle aspect of how can I make this work and how can I get it out of my head and into fabric. I quite like it when you're binding as well. When you're just at that finish line, that's really nice. It's so rewarding to have that finished quilt. It really is, yeah. And snuggling under it as well afterwards is the ultimate reward. (laughs) (laughs) Share about your worst quilting experience. I don't think that I am scarred by any quilting experience. (laughs) I've had moments of frustration, but I always try and look on them as learning points. But I think one of probably the most frustrating moments I had was I was doing a charity quilt and it was the first big quilt. It was a group effort. So it wasn't just me. There were other people relying on it as well. And at that point in my quilting journey, it was quite a big quilt. And I hadn't basted it properly, which I didn't realise at the time. And I spent a whole school day whilst the kids were out quilting it. And then I turned it over just as I was about to walk out the door and all the back was puckered where I hadn't basted it properly. There was a lot of seam ripper usage that day. (laughs) So I think it took me four hours to quilt and it took me about eight hours to unpick And I did it again properly. But it certainly taught me how to baste a quilt properly. (laughs) It's not happened again. (laughs) And I think probably the other one that was tough was I did a block of the month in 21. And my mum died in the March 
And that was quite difficult, I guess, because I was going through the grieving process, you know, kind of trying to get that quilt done. And the top is now done. And I haven't been able to bring myself to just get it finished. I think it kind of goes back to those moments and memories for me of, I believe that making a quilt, partly because I do quite a lot of hand piecing. So the quilts and the blocks travel with you on car journeys and camping trips and you know, different things. And so for me, there's quite a lot of emotions tied up and sewn into that quilt. I'm getting to the point now where I feel ready to move it on to the next step. But yeah, that was a tough one to actually take over the finish line. But I think we all get projects like that sometimes, don't we, where you kind of, there's something stopping you and sometimes it's the quilt's not white or sometimes you don't like the technique and it's just kind of understanding how to get past that roadblock. It's amazing how much our emotions are tied up in our quilts. Yeah, definitely. There are so many opportunities and different things we can do, but what do you think brings you back to quilting rather than spending your time doing something else? Well, cleaning the house, I mean, it just gets messy again. (laughs) The kids don't leave it clean at all. No, I think there's a couple of things for me with quilting. I think one is that it kind of comes back to that inspiration and the problem solving of wanting to see my idea come to life. And that's a really big thing for me. I think if I didn't do it, I don't know where else that energy would go. (laughs) And also it comes back to that mindfulness. It helps me to relax. (laughs) There aren't that many things that do that. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is it's just relaxing. And also I think as I've gone on to kind of design patterns and do courses, I love seeing the progress that other people make as well. So people I think feel they can't do it. And I firmly believe that everyone has a quilt in them just waiting to come out. So that's kind of, (laughs) I want them to see it into reality. (laughs) Who do you usually make your quilts for? So mostly family and friends. As I said earlier, I am not a prolific quilter. I don't make hundreds of quilts. So the ones that I do make tend to be meaningful and special. I'll make more smaller items, bags, accessories, things like that. And those I'll give to yeah, lots of people. And I've you know, made them for my children's friends and things like that. But quilts, I'm a bit more fussy about feels wrong, but I've made quilts and probably quite a few quilters, I think, can relate to this. So I hope they can, which is gifting quilts to people that don't necessarily appreciate them which I've done a couple of times. And since then, if I'm not sure about it, I'll always check with someone if they want me to make it for them because I don't want to put my time and energy into something that they then feel obliged to have. For example, my brother-in-law, when he was getting married, I asked them if they would like me to make them a quilt. And I asked them to kind of, have a look through a book at the sort of style that they like and the kind of colours that they like so that I can still surprise them. But it's with something that I know that they're going to use and love 
as much as I want them to because I don't want to make a quilt that's just going to be guilty, you know, that they feel they have to have. (laughs) So how surprised were they with it? They loved it, yeah. (laughs) I was cursing my brother-in-law halfway through, though, because he's over six foot, so it had to be a huge quilt. (laughs) Are you working on a special project right now? Yes, I have a few projects on the go. I'm not one quilt lady. Um, so I am finishing off my Beaufort quilt, which is my block of the month from last year. So a lot of people that took part in the block of the month, they're finishing off their quilt as well. So I'm really excited to get that one done. Um, I'm also working on a collaboration with some other quilty friends. So last year we did a sew a row quilt to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee and we're doing another one this year which is launching in May and that's going to be on the English Country Gardens so that's going to be fun and then I've got another class in the works which is for a kind of an improv curve and a plique cushion that's one that I've made before and it's again, it's just to encourage people to experiment and try different techniques, but on sort of a smaller, it's kind of like a maternity cushion. So it's sort of rectangular. So it's not too big. It's not too scary. You could make it bigger if you wanted to. So yeah, a mix and match of lots of different things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always wondering if I should ask people that are quilt designers. Rather than what I asked you, I probably should be asking them, so how many projects are you working on right now? (laughs) To be fair, I have a lot of projects and I don't know if it's just me, but I have one project that is a camping project. So we haven't been camping for three years. (laughs) So it hasn't seen the light of day for a while. But I have some projects I just keep for certain times and I don't know why, but I do. So yeah, I have projects at different stages, depending on what we happen to be doing at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So when your husband hears this, he'll know that you need to go on a camping trip next summer. My kids will be delighted. (laughs) (laughs) Share a quilting tip. So mine would be not to be afraid to experiment and adapt things to what you want to do. If there's a pattern that you like, don't be afraid to just give it a go and, you know, try the technique as it's described. And if it's not something that suits you, try doing it a different way. There's so many different ways to achieve the same results. Don't feel that you're not capable of it. Just give it a whirl. That goes back to your statement that you said at the beginning, and I loved it, that you didn't know you couldn't do it. Yeah, absolutely. And until you try it, you don't know. And you've got to have a base point to start from, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Describe how you went from having quilting as your hobby to it becoming a business for you. This has kind of been a gradual thing, to be honest. And it's interesting because I first started my blog, you know, when I first started getting into kind of crochet and knitting and then on to quilting it was in the days of Flickr groups and blog spot and blog hops and 
you know, blogs for diaries. So you just write, you know, what I've been up to this week and everything else. And there's been quite a change over the last five to 10 years where it's now much more structured in terms of how you do a website and what you should include in things. And so I think I started off and I could see that some people were doing well or doing better than I was at the time. And I approached a few magazines and I had some passions in magazines, but I couldn't really see how to go to that next step. And self-publishing my own pattern felt really scary. I was then offered a six-month contract back doing insight management. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll just do that. You know, I always loved doing that job. So, you know, maybe that's what I'll do. And I went and it was going really well. They offered me a job and I was like, I, I, this isn't me anymore. I'm a quilter. <laughs> so I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to have to figure out how to make this work. So I spent probably 18 months, two years kind of going deep. You know, my research brain went into overdrive and you know, looking at all the different things, learning SEO and building my website, looking at the structure, how to do the patterns, how I could make income with advertising and affiliate marketing. Yeah, I kind of went down into lots of things and went and pressed launch on my first pattern. So I officially launched in November 2017. So I wasn't very organized because it was November 2017 and my first pattern was an advent calendar. <laughs> so I gave people about a week, I think, to make it, but <laughs> it's proven to be a very popular pattern. So um, <laughs> I, I shan't moan about it. But yeah, so it wasn't a straight journey. And I think some of that is because, you know, there wasn't a lot of information back then. Whereas now there are a lot more courses and different things that you can do to learn and get going straight away. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your business. What's the name of your business and how did you come up with that name? <laughs> so my business is Fabric and Flowers. I think back when I started, I didn't really want to have my name as my kind of ID. And now I'm kind of like, should I, shouldn't I? Because I think things have changed. But at the time when I was looking to start my blog and I was looking at what to call it, I think I went through that cute words that my kids used, which were all taken. And then I was like, I just don't know. And I was like, well, I like flowers and fabric kind of covered dressmaking and quilting and knitting or crochet could be a blanket. So as if I do fabric, it's kind of generic and then flowers because I like them and it kind of goes fabric and flowers and that's available. So I'll go for that. <laughs> so it wasn't particularly scientific, but now I quite like it. I don't think I'd change it. So <laughs> I have added my name underneath it though, just so that there's a little bit more. It's fabric and flowers by Sonia Spencer. <laughs> well, it's such a pretty logo and it brings in your hobby of looking at flowers so that is cool indeed <laughs> tell us about your quilting theory series i don't know if you have it in america actually do you have theory tests in america for driving i don't think it's called theory tests but we do have the permit time where 
you have to practice and you have to take a test to get your permit and you have to take a test to get your okay. driver's license. Okay, so here in the UK, you have to do a theory test, which is a multiple choice computer test where you have to prove that you know what all the traffic signals mean and everything else. And I was thinking about quilting and kind of going, there are so many things that you could learn about quilting before you actually need to pick up needle and thread. So that quilting theory was my quilting equivalent of the driving theory test. So it's just all the information. I remember when I first started, what do all the acronyms mean? Why should I have this? What's all the different pre-cuts? Yeah, there are so many different things that you need or help you on your journey to stitching and feeling confident. And again, having that base point of where to start from. And that is what the quilting theory aims to do. So that not only described that, but you gave me a little lesson in some language in England. Some of our quirks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we had the same thing, but we just call it a test. Yeah. <laughs> so you started offering courses. How exciting was it when that first person signed up? It was so exciting. It's probably going to sound a bit woo, I don't know, but every time I have a sale, I close my eyes and I say thank you. I'm always grateful for the people that believe in my patterns and kind of want to go ahead to them. But yes, my first course was a block of the month. So I started off, well, it depends on kind of what course you want to talk about, because I think people think about courses as videos, maybe. So my first block of the month was a digital course where you just got a PDF each month. And I then went into doing block of the months with videos. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into setting up these things. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that you find it with the podcast, you know, there's all the behind the scenes stuff that you need to learn. So the learning curve was steep, <laughs> but you soon get used to it. But yeah, I always love it when people choose to invest their hard-earned money with me to kind of do my things. And I hope that they get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. So your first pattern was the Christmas Advent calendar, right? Yes. Do you remember when the first person bought that pattern from you? I do. The pattern was something that I'd had in my mind for ages. So I've got three children and my middle one has a dairy allergy. So you can't always get chocolate calendars easily. And I looked at making them, but all the Advent calendar patterns or panels that I saw were for one child and we haven't got a house big enough for three advent calendars hanging on the wall so I wanted to design one calendar which had big pockets <laughs> that expanded <laughs> um, so that was the calendar that I designed so I, I sort of spent ages designing it and making up my samples and I launched it and sort of eagerly await and I think I put it onto Etsy and for anyone that doesn't know if you have an Etsy shop and you have the app on your phone when you make a sale it goes cha-ching <laughs> <laughs> and that first cha-ching was like oh, someone's bought my pattern <laughs> so yes that was exciting and even now I still get the same thrill when someone buys my pattern I love it 
So yeah, it's always nice. It's such a great feeling to be able to share that with them. You know how much you enjoyed making the pattern and to know that somebody loved it enough to buy it. Yeah. And I think reviews as well. I think when people are kind enough to take the time to leave a review on your item, and especially if they include photos and you can see how they've done it. I quite often get people sharing pictures of their advent calendars that they've made for their grandchildren. And it's just like, oh, look. (laughs) So yeah, I love it. It's amazing. Yeah, reviews are so much fun. Yeah. So was it surprising or just exciting when you saw a pattern you designed, but it was made by someone else? It's lovely. And one of the things I've kind of already shared, but I always like to adapt things. Yeah, I always encourage people to try different ways of doing things and when I'm making things quite often, I'll think of three different ways that I could do it. And so in my patterns, I tend to include different options. So you know, if you're making a bag, you could do it with this, without this, or with this little bit, or with that little bit, to encourage people to make their own adaptions to them. And so I love it when people post things and then I can kind of see what they've done. And sometimes people add things on and I'm like, why didn't I think of that? That's an amazing idea. (laughs) So, yeah, I love it when people share what they've done and how they've added their own tweak. So that's really nice. Is there anything else you wanted to share about your business? I love having my own business. It's such a fun thing to do. I like the challenge of it. I like learning new things and doing different courses and everything else but I think the one thing that I maybe didn't appreciate fully is that it can be quite lonely sometimes when you're working by yourself you can be sort of in your own bubble and if you're not careful you can be looking online and perceive that everyone else is doing so much better than you and doing all these cool amazing things and what are you doing But sometimes you can be that cool, amazing person to someone else. You know, again, it all comes back to having that base point and who you're looking at yourself against. So I think it's always important to have people that you can chat to about when you're having those tough days, you know, customers, every now and then you'll have funny customers and, you know, Sometimes it's valid. I always think that with criticism, it's uh, how can you improve it? You know, is there anything in there that you can improve going forward? Sometimes it's not always necessary and maybe people are just being a bit grumpy. And it's nice to have people that you can chat to about that and get their thoughts. So my advice would always be to have a, a group if you can create a network of people (laughs) that you can talk to about things. And actually I launched a Facebook group last year just so that if people want to come in and chat to me or other people about stuff that they can do that because it can be a little bit lonely sometimes. And I think it can be a bit overwhelming as well. A bit like that when I did a year, 18 months, whatever it was of research, there's quite a lot of stuff to learn. And so knowing where to look can be tricky. Mm-hmm. And Sonia, share where we can find your business. 
So I can be found as Fabric and Flowers on Instagram and Facebook. And my website is fabricandflowers.co.uk. Great. Sonia, thank you so much. I so appreciate having you visit with me and getting to hear your story on A Quilter's Life. Thank you, Paula. It's been a pleasure. It's been my first ever podcast as well. So thank you for helping me through this experience. It's been really good fun. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.